Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adwell Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adwell Marcy, and today I am bringing you another kick-ass interview, this time with someone that's uh, on the up and up. He's a bit of a younger writer, young whippersnapper slash asshole. I say that with love as always. <laughs> I only said it because that was me. Anyway, this dude is fun. He's hilarious. I got to know him uh, a little bit, and I just thought it would be... He's a smart dude. He's super smart in the way that he does things, and... I'm, as soon as he said that he wants to be on the show, I was like, fuck yes, you're in. So without further ado, I say hello and welcome to Shiv Shetty. Shiv, welcome to the show, man. Hey, man, what's up? What a lovely intro. Great to be here. I'm glad that you're here. Now, real quick before everyone gets started, uh, the first thing I really want you guys to do is like, subscribe, share, and of course, leave me a nice little review about what you think of the show. I'm always open to hearing feedback and seeing what we can do to make it better. That and also the show is sponsored by the one and only shivshetty.com forward slash podcast. <laughs> Head on over there and basically end the feast and famine of copywriting with probably, and I say this with love, dude, the most ridiculously named course I've ever gone through, but genuinely a really good course, the flaming camel method. Um, but with that being said, dude, just, I'm going to bring you right on. How the fuck did you come up with a name like the flaming camel method? I, I've been wanting to ask for weeks. For sure. Yeah. Straight in the jugular. Okay. So the flaming camel, um, it comes from this story that I found that I thought was really interesting. So the story goes back in the 14th century, there was this tyrant ruler um, and he was a Mongolian emperor, right? And he had a, he had a, a God complex and he really wanted to take over the entire, the entire world. And his name was Amir Tamur, right? So Amir Tamur, um, what he wanted to do is he wanted to first take his forces to India because at the time India was a major world power. So he took his troops um, and he marched onto the capital of Delhi and he marched through the desert to get there. Um, but what happened was he was met on the battlefield by the equally ruthless emperor of India at the time, whose name was Sultan Mahmud Shah. Um, and this guy not only had about 10 times the army uh, that Amir Tamur had, um, Sultan Mahmud Shah had 150 or so war elephants, right, with poison-coated tusks, um, yeah, the whole nine yards. So this army was huge, and it's just like from eye to eye, um, all Amir Tamur's forces could see were just like war elephants. So that sight caused half of Amir's men just to run in the opposite direction. Um, and the men who remained, who were loyal to Amir, they were absolutely terrified. But Amir was the only person who wasn't scared at all. In fact, he was happy at the sight of these massive war elephants. Um, and the reason was, he knew that war elephants scared really easily. So what he did <clears throat> is he asked his men to uh, direct the camels to the front line. Obviously, they were traveling through the desert, so they were all on camels. Um, so he got his men to direct the camels to the front line. Um, he ordered his men to load up blocks of hay onto the camel's back set the blocks of hay on fire and then prod the camels in the arse. So literally he had these, these flaming camels running towards Sultan Mahmud Shah's massive army. Uh, and that terrified the war elephants and the war elephants just like wrecked complete havoc to uh, Mahmud Shah's army. Um, and Amir Tamur was able to easily win that battle and he went on to capture and sack Delhi. So that is where the name flaming camel comes from and how it relates uh, to what it is that I do is that um, I, I created through laborious trial and error a process um to land retainer clients on demand such that you don't have to do any blast so it's an outreach process you don't have to do any blast outreach where you know you're sending out hundreds of cold emails or hundreds of dms on facebook or anything like that um and that's sort of that's sort of how it relates so i took that idea from amir tamur um of like the flaming camel where you instead of trying to defeat all of the war elephants you, you just choose like the path of least resistance that's the highest leverage path that gets the results that you want um, that's also unique, you know, no one, Mahmoud Shah had never seen 
flaming camels running towards him. So it's a unique approach. Uh, it's highly effective and it's uh, very disruptive and that's why it's so effective. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. And I also love the fact there's a great history lesson to do with India in there. I mean, just come on. Mm -hmm. So much more fun. <laughs> anyway, so that's a lot of fun for me. Uh, and I, I can vouch for your system. It works. It's brilliant. We've seen what goes on. And honestly, it's the, the feast and famine cycle of copywriting was like the worst thing that I went through when I was younger. It was like, huh, I just landed my first client. This is kind of cool. I'm rich. Ah, oh, this is going to probably work. Oh, shit, this is so much work. Why did I complete that client? Why do I not have more money? That basically <laughs> was my life for a while. And then it just kind right. of shifted around. And it's interesting. So kind of jumping off of that point, because I do want to get to know, like, I want my audience obviously to get to know you. What was it that brought you into the copywriting world? I mean, because when I came in, I was like 18 years old and I started the business and, you know, I realized I was good at copy. What mm -hmm. was it for you? How did you find your origin? Sure. So for me, it was um, being in a situation that I absolutely hated. So I, growing up, um, I was always of the opinion that to be successful in life, you had to go to school, get your grades, go to university, get a degree, get a job, stay in that job for 30 years, slowly climb the ladder, maybe peak at 80k and then quietly die of a heart attack at 70. That was my idea of like life. success. Um, and as much as I love my parents, I'm very grateful to them. I think just like with having that Indian background, that Indian heritage, it's like if you don't go to school, don't go to university, you're the black sheep. Um, and it's like that I is the ultimate no, path. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, I have never gone through that <laughs> as a dropout at 17. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, yeah, that, that was like I, I didn't even consider any other path outside of that. So like the good little Indian student that I was, I went to school, got good grades, um, went to university. I completed the first year of university and I'm not quite sure what the catalyst was, but I came back from first year. Um, I came back home, obviously, because it was uh, it was uh, summer, Christmas. I think it was summer at that time, end of first year. So I came back home and for whatever reason, I actually started questioning this path that I was that I was on. I guess it, it, it really hit me for the first time. Like, oh, wait, if I stay in this path, I'm going to be like a banker kissing corporate ass for the rest of my life. And I just started to realize where my life was actually headed. I was in such tunnel vision mode the, the last 18 years of my life that I hadn't even considered where, where my path was going. So that was a big wake up call to me. And I, I started panicking like, oh crap, I really don't want to do this. This is not my, like, I don't want to be um, a corporate nine to five drone um, at that time, actually. So I've been a drummer for a very long time and I, I really wanted to be a drummer. Um, so that was obviously at complete odds to like being a banker or being like a corporate drone. So I started looking at different options that I could do because uh, I didn't just want to drop out of university and be a bum musician living out of a van I actually wanted to like make good money have a good income and then maybe like do music uh, on the side or even just for fun but I needed to find another way to make money that wasn't getting a normal job so I first got into stock market investing I started reading like Benjamin Graham I started reading stock market books um, and then I went to so so my family uh, went to India at that time um, and my uncle he is one of those black sheep in our in our family who didn't do the normal path. And he's a stock market investor. And he handed, he handed me a book um, that completely changed my life. And it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, which I don't know if you've read that book, but um, it's yeah, that opened my eyes to a whole new way of doing things. And from there, it was like that that was that was a major turning point reading that book. And from there, I, I started different online businesses. Um, I got into drop shipping, which is a terrible business model, but it got me started in the business world. Um, and 
Um, I had one dropshipping business that was selling phone cases online that failed miserably. I had a second one called Home Hub and that was selling like, I don't know what I was trying to do there. It was supposed to be like fun homeware items. Like I was selling floating plant pots and sort of weird uh, wire candle holders and that failed even worse than the first one. And third business was selling print on demand stuff. So I'd, I'd, uh, I'd create a design, put it up on a shirt and then sell that with Facebook ads. Um, I actually did make some money from that, but I was using my student loan. And um, so at this point, as I was trying different businesses, I was still at university. I was getting into second year and this is sort of coming towards the, uh, the end of second year now. I had my third business failure in a row because I, I was using my student loan to fund the Facebook ads and I ran out of money. Um, and then I, I watched a Dan Locke video, right? Um, that he was, I think it was called like, why you're poor. And he was just going on a rant uh, about people not actually having skills and trying to start businesses. And that was a major like aha moment. Cause obviously, you know, I was trying to start these businesses. I didn't actually have any proper business skills. I hadn't focused on learning the fundamentals of persuasion, like fundamentals of copy. Like I didn't even really know running ads that well. I was just copying what some, some guru was telling me still online. So that was another huge wake up call. And I decided to focus on copy because I knew what it was and I was good at it. And I've always been a good writer and I've loved persuasion and psychology for you know since i was a kid so that was just a perfect fit for me and then yeah the rest is history that's how i got into it that is pretty cool i mean granted everyone knows my opinion of dan Locke anyway so it's fine mm-hmm. i think ev- i think everyone that after they've left him they're like oh yeah we know who he is right <laughs> pretty much a thing it's a universal thing yeah 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 <laughs> also dan fuck you i don't like you so i don't give a shit <laughs> it's, it's genuinely i i'm not fake about it fuck it anyway <laughs> I'll be I'll be civil when we meet, but know that I don't like you. Anyway, going off topic here. That's a pretty interesting like run from it. So like you went from that. So how did you so from that transition to basically becoming a copywriter? Mm-hmm. Like what did you do? Because I know you worked with my buddy Roy Fur, who we're actually having on to the show next week after yours. Um, yeah, like how did you? How'd you transition directly into copy though, into the place that you're at? Like which mentors, which books, what was it that got it for you? Sure. So I started, so at the time, um, this was end of second year. So I just exhausted all of my student loans. I didn't have any money. Um, so I was just doing it for free. I was handwriting out old sales letters from swiped.co. I was um, like reading as many blog posts as I could, trying to pick up some, some copywriting books. I'm trying to remember what the first book was. I picked up um I can't remember what it was I picked up a few really cheap ones I think it might have been scientific advertising actually Claude Hopkins um yeah yeah, yeah. classic old reliable um and from there yeah so so it was my birthday coming up soon at that point so I was 19 uh, about to turn 20 and I asked my parents if they could buy me (laughs) this email copywriting course that I'd come across and it was from John McIntyre um and yeah it's quite funny a lot of my friends were asking for like a car or money but I was asking for an email copywriting course um but anyway very grateful to my parents um, they bought that for me for my birthday and yeah, went through it must've been three days. I blazed through the entire thing, uh, took tons of notes. I must've gone through it like four or five times in total. Um, and I think because I didn't actually have much money at the time that made me more resourceful. So I, I really valued that course. Um, and I milked it for what it was worth and that helped a ton. Um, and from there, I took the stuff that I learned from John about, um, you know, being an email copywriter, how to generally write good copy, all the fundamentals that he talks about. It's a great course, by the way, fully recommend, uh, fully, fully endorse that. It's fantastic. Uh, it's how I got my start. And then from there, I took the skills that I'd, uh, I'd built through John's course and started going off the clients. Um, and the way that I did that was pretty much a value first approach to outreach. So 
I didn't realize it at the time, but this was going to be the foundations for me to build the flaming camel process later down the line. This was like the bare bones that were just putting together. Um, and I did some, uh, you know, I did what most copywriters try and do, which is like outreach, but I, I attached some um, value to that outreach where I basically just uh, rewrite some copy for my prospects and send it over to them. Um, but I wouldn't do it in a critique way. I wasn't giving them an unsolicited critique, which is where a lot of copywriters fall down. And we can come back, we can come back and uh, and talk about that in a in a yeah, bit. But I was going to say because a lot of people do that wrong. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So my approach was not to be like, "Hey, this copy sucks. Here's how to do it better." It was more like, "Hey, this is really good, but to potentially make it even better, have you perhaps considered testing this?" So I had that kind of much more gentle, much friendlier approach, um, and that worked extremely well. And I landed my first pr- straight off the bat. I landed some really big clients. Um, one of them, uh, Hollywood A-list personal trainer, and he had clients like Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds, and I worked with him for a while. That was a ton of fun. Um, I also landed a client um, who is one of Australia's most successful um, bodybuilding and bikini comp coaches, and that was a ton of fun as well. He was a great client to work with. Um, and then from there, what I did, so so what happened after that was I didn't actually realize that what I'd created was any good. Um, and at this point, I reached out to John McIntyre, gave him a testimonial for his course, told him what happened. Um, and while the clients I was working with were really awesome, it was just one-off gigs, right? I was just getting, it was it was inconsistent. It was up and down. Um, and I wanted more consistency. I wanted to land retainer gigs. I didn't know how to do that. So I spoke to John, I gave him a testimonial. He then offered me coaching, which uh, I took him up on. At the time, it was pretty much all of my income, uh, just going straight to John. But um, I was lucky enough to be in a position where that was fine. I didn't have a mortgage or mouse to feed or anything. Um, and then, yeah, John's coaching changed everything. It made me a much better copywriter. And then from there, it, it was actually John who told me how great, like, like how good my client getting strategy actually was. Um, I had no, I didn't realize it was actually any good. I thought it was pretty normal for copywriters to land really big clients right off the bat. Um, so yeah, he, he gave me confidence in that process. And then from there, I just built it out. Um, into what it is now. I, I optimized it for retainers. I started tweaking things, trial and error, the hell out of it, um, and just made it. Yeah, that, that's ba- that's basically where where I just sort of blew up from there. And I, once I tweaked it for retainers, I landed a 5K a month um, retainer with a seven-figure client, which was huge for me. Uh, that was only about three or four-ish months um, into my copywriting career, into actually like going off to clients, I'd landed that retainer. Um, and then, yeah, I sent out more flaming camels. I kept kept tweaking the process, kept optimizing it, um, and found myself completely booked up with with copywriting work. That's awesome. <laughs> That's actually really awesome. Now, kind of going back to it a little bit because I do want to discuss this, and you touched upon it quite quite heavily, which is most copywriters don't actually know how to write a good outreach message because yep. they think that it's a case of you'd think that we'd know, but honestly, a lot of us don't get taught, and a lot of courses miss this out, mm-hmm. which is why I endorse yours. Um, the problem that a lot of people have is reaching out and they're like, let me tell you why you're wrong versus, yeah. hey, let me reach out and let me build a relationship with you and offer my advice. Because uh, no one's going to be mad at free advice from a friend, but they're going to be mad for free advice from someone they don't even know. So yeah. my, my take is, my question to you is, how do you change that? Like, what is the thing that you do that's different? Absolutely. So the first thing that I would say would be a mindset shift. It's not, you're not talking down to your prospects. It's more like, the example that I give inside uh, inside my program is I say, well, look, imagine that a little girl has just drawn a painting for you um, and it's a really terrible painting and you're trying to give her advice on how to make it better, but you've got to give her advice in such a way that she doesn't start crying. So you've got to be very gentle. You've got to be like, hey, this is really good. I love how you've done this. This is fantastic. Um, 
And, you know, to maybe make this even better, what you could potentially do is, you know, try doing it like this, right? So it's that sort of very gentle approach. And I guess the, this sort of comes to me being British, I think. I'm like always super polite. I guess that's just, that's just part of who I am. Yeah, um, so that British that thing. is sort of, sorry, what was that? It's a very British thing that we do. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and, uh, so that was, that helped a ton, obviously, when I was creating the value. Um, so yeah, that, that would be my advice. It's, it's like, take that approach of being very gentle. Um, and before you give any uh, advice on what to test, I would always suggest giving a compliment, right? A lot of copywriters when they do outreach, they just dive straight into, normally they don't even give testing suggestions. I'll come back, back and explain that in a second. Um, but they just dive into a critique. They dive into explaining what like the prospect could do differently and they don't give any compliments. So that's a really small, simple tip but that, was, that will make people so much more receptive to what you have to say. Even if it is slightly critique if you start with a really genuine compliment, that makes it so much, so much smoother um, and so much easier to deliver uh, your your you know the value that you're providing. Now the second thing um, is to give testing suggestions and not critique. So I mentioned this, I touched on this briefly before, but you don't want to start telling people what they should do differently. You want to instead tell people what they could perhaps test to make you know even more money or to make the copy even better. Right? Frame it. Always frame what you're suggesting in terms of things to test rather than things they should do, things they must do, things they need to try, right? It's just far gentler. Um, and it's just, it's received a lot better when you frame it in that way. Agreed. It really is like people just tend to respond back to you in a much nicer way because you're not being a dick to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it sounds really obvious, right? Like don't be a dick to people. Don't be, don't critique them. Uh, don't, yeah. Don't just give like unsolicited advice in a really harsh way, but so many copywriters do this. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, of course they do. Yeah. It's because what they're taught is like, yeah, you know better. It's like, yeah, right, exactly. Like we make, we all make mistakes. Now, one of the things I found over the years of writing for myself is this whole idea that people, how do I put this? Uh, when people do outreach stuff, it, they, they miss out that whole compliment stage, which is a huge thing that you really, that everyone has to do. Mm-hmm. But it's this idea that you kind of feel like you know better, but do the research on who wrote the ad. Like, this is something I always tell people is like, do the research on who's there. And the reason I say that is because I've had people reach out to me before and be like, hey, man, I can write better copy than this. And I'm like, yeah, you really can't, bro. Sorry, but like, how long have you been writing for? Okay, do you know who wrote the copy to this? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, <laughs> man, please go to the back of the room. Because I, I legitimately had someone say they could outright John Benson's VSL. Wow. It's a great <laughs> thing too, but the thing is, I know John's VSL and how much work went into that. I'm like, you're not going to beat it. You're just not. Because I, I know so many people have failed. Like, isn't, yeah, I, sorry, isn't John the guy who created the VSL? He came yeah. up with it, didn't he? He's one of my best friends. That's the weird part. He's one of my best friends. I speak to him twice a week at minimum. Yeah. Um, so I know where his brain's going and what he's going to bring out is going to be insane soon. But anyway, I digress. It's knowing your research. Do the research on who you're speaking to. Because mm-hmm. uh, so few people do that. And trust me doing the research really helps your case when you reach out to them because you can just say something like hey shiv i absolutely really love the way that you created the flaming camel method because I, it, it's so intriguing that that's this origin story hey i by the way i heard your um i heard you on adult's show i thought it was really, really cool the way you like explain the backstory to it by the by i hope you don't mind me saying i I noticed like two or three things you can do really do to improve the lander for the podcast page. If you just add this and this, um, could you do me a favor? If you do use them, could you send me an email and let me know that it worked out? And then maybe we can talk a little bit more. Simple. Yeah. 
Yeah. What, what's the worst thing you're going to say to me? I've tested that or you're an asshole or, hey, man, thanks so much. I'm glad that you listened to me on the show and you liked my thing. I'll definitely test them out and get back to you. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you know that. Or if it's like you've already tested something and you already got the result, you can be like, hey, man, that's a really cool suggestion. I have the exact same thoughts, so kind of love where your head's at. Unfortunately, it wouldn't work that way. Uh, traffic just didn't convert optimally. This way worked out better for us. Now, here's where it kind of gets to the good thing. You as the senior seasoned person that's responding, you just help the junior person get an insight on what works and what doesn't. So now they're changing the way of their thinking. Mm -hmm. And it allows you to really like solidify your position as like the expert in that industry that's helping that person out. And you find that you can sometimes get back and forth going. And from the copywriter's perspective, as long as you're open to having that back and forth conversation, you'll end up with a client or a friend that will get you clients. Absolutely. Absolutely. If any more copywriters would take you up on that advice. Yeah. Or you on your course, because your shit, again, I said again, your shit is the shit. It's kind of cool. Um, so kind of jumping off of that, because I do want to get to know like the areas that influence you outside of copy. So what is it that you do outside in your day-to-day -day world that you find influences what you do in real life? And before you answer that, do you still drum? Two great questions. Um, so I haven't been drumming a lot recently. Um, the way, so I was at a bit of an impasse um, a f like seven, eight months ago. I realized I can either maintain an active social life, which I do have, um, and like maintain uh, like drumming and just basically chilling out and, and doing what I normally do, as well as having my business and have the business kind of go well, but not as good as it could be. Um, and by business, I mean uh, the Flaming Camel, which is a coaching program. Um, so I realized that it would be better for me short term to sacrifice outside things and just focus purely on the Flaming Camel um, and make the training as amazing as it could be really refine everything, streamline it so other people can get insane results, which they have been getting, um, and grow it so that more people can join, more people can get results. Uh, and then, yeah, that, that's basically what I've been doing. So my social life has taken a big hit. Um, I've decided to put a pause on drumming. I do still break out the practice pad every now and then, have a little tap on that. But pretty much all of my focus has been going into the Flaming Camel. Like I hired a high-performance coach uh, a few months back He's been helping me optimize my habits and routines. I'm wearing an aura ring. So like I'm tracking my sleep. Um, so that's, it's, it's, it's a great question that you asked me what am I doing outside of copy that influences it. Um, <laughs> given that I just axed pretty much everything outside of the, of what I do as a, as a copywriter and a coach now. Um, but I suppose the other thing that I do is, um, yeah, yeah, I think it might just be that. It's it's the case of like I've axed pretty much everything outside of it. I'd purely focus on the flaming camel. I suppose it's just like talking to other copywriters, seeing what they're doing, um, looking at what uh, how the industry is going. That influences the, the direction that I take the flaming camel. That influences the content that I write. Does that make sense? I know that doesn't really answer your question. No, that does make sense because like I have a so as a slightly older copywriter, may I make a suggestion? Please do. Please do. So this is for anyone that's kind of going down the obsessive path of like, I'm going to double down on all this. Do not, under any circumstances, let go of the things that make you happy. Mm. And the reason I say that is when I started in business, uh, I hit a spinal injury around the same time. So I had to stop doing Muay Thai because my back was fucked. And like I put on weight. And it took me years to get back into martial arts. Like It took me like a good five or six years to get back in. And now like I do jujitsu a couple of times a week, obviously, because we've gone, we've gone into lockdown. I'm now still maintaining my practices at home uh, during quarantine, which is fine. 
But what I'm getting at is if I didn't have those, I would not be able to become a better copywriter. If I didn't have the outlets and the weird thought processes and the weird explorations and curiosities, I would not become better. I'd stay stagnant. Um, so with drumming, by the way, drumming's a brilliant thing. What if you just added in like once or twice a week, you decided to just drum on a certain day? Like Sunday is my day off. I'm a chill. I'm a drum for like 20 or 30 minutes and then I'm done. Yeah. Just no, by doing that, you gave yourself relief. For sure. No, no, you're right. I, I definitely should. Um, it's funny. As soon as you were, uh, as you were talking just then, I remember that Derek Johansson told me the exact same thing. He's the creator of Copy Hour. He, he gave me the exact same advice. And yeah, you're right. You're right. I shouldn't be like 100% business focused. I should definitely do stuff outside of it. Um, it does make me more creative. But yeah, yeah, you're right. That's a good suggestion. Well, in most other cases, I wouldn't say it because it's a case of, you know, having focus on something that you love is great. Mm. But it's, it, with copywriting, it's a creative burnout because yeah. you've got to realize unless you're replacing, replenishing the creativity, it's all coming out of you. It's not going back in. So with me, I kind of stopped reading copywriting books about maybe around a decade ago. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of them. I've read a lot of them since. But in their entirety, not many. I started reading other books like... Um, books on psychology, books on self-development, books on like criminals, mm-hmm. like books on the human body. I started looking at different things from a whole different perspective because you realize you can actually find deeper bonds with people on things outside of what they're buying. Mm. So for instance, give me a niche. Like, Just any random niche. Mm-hmm. Uh, fitness. Specifically? Like keto? Yeah, keto. Okay. Writing a piece about keto diets and how they're actually amazing for people aged between 21 and 27. Like this weird age gap, it's great for them because their bodies develop in a different way. Okay. So that's what I'm talking about, writing. Now, halfway through that sales letter, uh, uh, most copywriters would keep on the subject. Me, I kind of keep it going. And then halfway through, I change subjects almost immediately with an analogy. And the analogy there would be for something like, imagine for a moment, uh, imagine how this this scenario, this very unlikely scenario might play out. You're walking through the woods and Shia LaBeouf decides to attack you. Yep, just like the song. And I'd put that in parentheses. Now you're running for your life. Do you want to be out of breath and flabby or do you want to have a clean body system that knows how to basically maximize your energy? The choice is yours. You can take right. something like that and run with it. Then your mm-hmm. audience appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, love it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, and I think you have something that's actually brilliant with drumming because um, I haven't I haven't played the drums in like 16 years, but I do have a drum set at home. Interesting, interesting. What kind of drums? What kind of uh, music do you play? Well, thing is, I actually learned to play the drums first, and I broke both my hands. Wow. How? Tie boxing. Ah. <laughs> Um, and then I ended up going to, I, I actually do play the ukulele right now, but I have a piano at home, a rolling digital piano. Jesus, how many ukulele. instruments do you play? Dude, I have a couple of instruments in the house. So I've got my bass guitar as well that I'm learning how to play <laughs> and my drum kit that I'm going back into. So nice. my drums are my, they're also Roland. So it's a mm. Roland TDK1V. It's the ones with the mesh, um, oh my God, not kick drum, snare. It's the one with the mesh snare, but it's actually really good. Super quiet. Like for when you've got like neighbors and shit. Of course, yeah. Oh, is that an electric kit? Yeah. I, I ah, didn't cool. go with like an actual because that would be crazy. 
Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that's what's that like five different instruments? Yeah, I, I'm learning. I'm good at ukulele. That's the only one I can say that I'm the most confident in playing. <laughs> the others, I'm like, I'm still learning. I'm still a baby. I don't know what I'm doing. Screw you guys. <laughs> but curiously, off of that back end, A, what drum kit do you have? And B, who do you rate would be your top three drummers of all time? Oh, great question. So I have uh, a Pearl drum kit. I think it's called Pearl Export Series. Um, yeah, it's I an acoustic kit. It's a, really good, it's a really good kit. I do yeah. look at that. <laughs> yeah it's a nice kit nice kit um and so i love gospel style drummers i don't know if you know any gospel drummers but people like tony royster jr thomas bridgen uh, lana lewis but favorites have got to be eric moore i don't know if you know eric moore he's a gospel style drummer yep yeah, definitely yeah, see calvin rogers is still someone that oh, love yeah. to look at like calvin a lot of people rogers. even people a lot don't know like james brown was a drummer for a long time yeah mm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it's Eric Moore, definitely. He's he's insane. Um, also, because the, tra- like Blink One Eight Two and Green Day got me into drums right. in the first place. Like I had that that huge phase of like pop punk. Um, so if you didn't, there was something wrong with you. <laughs> right, right. Um, so there's a special place in my drumming heart for Travis Barker. Oh, uh, amazing. Just like yeah, pretty much all young drummers uh, want to be like Travis Barker, and then. Third would probably be Benny Greb. Do you know Benny Greb? I don't know Benny Greb. I'll have to check him out. Yeah, he's he's insane. He's um, I'm not really sure how to describe his style, um, but I would argue that he's probably the best drummer in the world right now. But he's very understated. Not many people know him, but his chops are absolutely phenomenal. If you know Drumio, he's done quite a few videos on Drumio's YouTube channel that are really really incredible. Awesome. Well, yeah. that I am totally going to have to check out after the show. Awesome. Um. I'd still say this much. My favorite all-time drummer, though, which I, I don't know why I get shit for this, but my favorite all-time drummer is Neil Peart. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, from um, from Rush. Rush. Yeah, Rush. may he rest in peace. But, like, uh, Neil was a fucking god on the drums. He was. He but was. And every, every, every it, live show... Sorry, I kept interrupting. No, no, every, no, dude. It's good. Go for it. Yeah, like, he, every live show he played was... Wasn't it, like, exactly the same as how he played on the album? He was so incredibly consistent. It's... The thing that made him amazing to me was how bored he looked when he was playing drums. Like, <laughs> right. Look at the man. He has zero expression on his face. He's like, I'm still another day at the office. This is like so easy. <laughs> and so few people know that this dude's written like three other, like three books. Uh, he's got a book of poetry and a shitload of other stuff that he does. I'm like, interesting. Dude, that's so cool. But um, Neil was like an insane, like, uh, I can't remember what it is, but it's for their 30th anniversary. It's a th- it's like a nine minute drum solo, <laughs> and uh, I'm gonna find it because it is, it's one of my favorite Please songs do. of all time, and I'll just send it to you because I know you as a fellow drummer you'd like it. But yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. It's der uh, der Trommler, uh, D E R T R O M M L E R. It's the R thirty edition, um, and it is genuinely incredible because you got there's a video of this on. Uh, on YouTube, you can just type in Neil per solo, and it's about eight and a half, nine minutes long. Yeah, eight minutes forty. Jeez, dear lord, it's eight minutes and forty <laughs> seconds of pure instant. And watch the video if you can, because I swear to God, you can see how bored his face is. He is <laughs> bored shitless on the drums. But I'd say my number two and three would be Buddy Rich, followed up mm. by probably the most complete musician in my opinion, um, David Grohl. Oh yes, Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl is one of those people that no one can hate. He's just a fan favorite. 
he call was, that Santa Dave Cole. But here's the here's the funny thing. Everyone that wants to hate on him, I'm like, why are you hating on him? He's like <laughs> yeah. the most complete musician. Right. Drummer, he was a drummer for Nirvana for ages. Mm-hmm. He was drummer for Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, yeah. He was also, he plays in like three or four different bands. He's like, initially started off as drummer's Foo Fighters, then replaced himself, became the bassist, and then the lead guitarist and, and yeah. the vocalist. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, no. And he plays, he plays the saxophone. <laughs> I didn't know that. Shit. Didn't know that. Yeah, just really random shit. My friend met him. He was like, his hands are the size of dinner plates. I was like, fair enough. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Dave Gold's great shout. Buddy Rich as well. That's another fantastic shout. I forgot about Buddy Rich. Yeah, he's yeah. he's one of the all-time greats, definitely. It, it The way I always look at like greats is how easy do they make it look. Mm. And he made it look easy. Yeah. He made yeah. it look real easy. But anyway, um, that being said, kind of like one of my favorite questions I love to ask anyway. Like, I want to ask you, actually. So growing up with influences, as you did, because being of, like, Asian descent equally as, you know, as I am as well, mm-hmm. um, how did you overcome some of the, like, the natural negativities and biases from, like, family members? And I only ask because I know, well, hey, I've very rarely found, like, another person of our ethnicity doing our job, our work. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting they get to ask that. So how have you found it, like dealing with the family? That's a great question. And you're right, we are actually weirdly similar. Both Brits, both Indian heritage, both drummers. And I did martial arts for a long time as well. Oh, which um, martial arts? Yeah, I did karate, got to oh, black belt. Yeah, cool. yeah. yeah, so I did Muay Thai and now do jujitsu. So that's interesting. Jiu-jitsu, so those my styles. Yeah, yeah, we are weirdly similar. Um, anyway, yeah, to go back to your question, what did I do? Quite honestly, I shut them out. Um, it sounds really immature. Maybe it is a little bit, but I, I straight up just didn't. So when I dropped out of university, I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell any of my Indian relatives. Um, I just cracked on with it um, because I knew they would say no. And I, I'd mentioned it to my parents before. Um, and to their credit, for Indian parents, they're very chill, very relaxed, super supportive. Um, but my dad was definitely not thrilled when I told him that I wanted to drop out of university. Um, and you know, they mentioned it to their Uh, relatives back home who were also not thrilled so I just straight up didn't say a word dropped out um, and it was only when I started making money consistently and started working with some really good clients that's when I told them Um, and they were okay with it then because they had no leg to stand on their argument was well if you drop out what are you going to do if you drop out you're going to have no qualifications you can't get a job but I'd just proven that I could so there was nothing they could say even though they didn't approve but um, yeah that that was my approach just to (laughs) not say anything that is that is so true. Uh, like my, like I'm kind of, I'm weirdly grateful because my mum is, she was my, she's been like my support corner for always. That's why I love her and why I always call her mama bear because she is. Um, that is yeah. a legit thing that I do. Like a lot of people go, why do you call your mum that? I'm like, I'm 31. I still call my mum that because she's <laughs> awesome. All right. Fuck it. She is awesome. Anyway, the reason I go into that is because my mum and I, um, we had this discussion before. She's literally said to me, she goes, the only reason I never got mad at you for leaving school and stuff was because out of every one of it, like out of all the kids, like cousins, or whatever, she was like, you're the only one that wasn't dumb enough to do it without a plan. I was like, but I didn't have a plan. But she was like, yeah, but you are really good at landing on your feet. So because as soon as I left school, uh, I was 17. So I left college in the first year and then went straight into working um, in Game Station for like six months. And then while I was at Game Station, I was honing my copy chops. And then I started my first business. And then that fell apart. And I got better at writing copy because I didn't know what a copywriter was. And then like a year and a half later, I knew. Yeah. When you, for ages. 
when you writing copy for your dad or something? I remember you telling yeah, me from time yeah. I was twelve. But I had no idea that's what I was doing. Like, because yeah. I never got told. I just got told write some stories. <laughs> like, oh, whatever, dude. We'll do that. It'll be fun. <laughs> never ask an Indian parent for money that you've done work for. They'll beat you. <laughs> or they'll threaten to beat you. It's one of the two. I yeah. say that jokingly. My dad's cool. But anyway, um, kind of jumping <laughs> off the point here. One of the things that I find that copywriters really kind of get into a bit of a, a, a shitty situation with is their mindset. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious on how you deal with this. So like life is inevitably going to kick you in the nuts. It, it just is. Yeah. Um, everyone knows this. My question to you is when it has kicked you in the nuts or felt like it was about to kick you in the nuts, how did you get back up? And what do you now, what do you do now to maintain those times? So essentially, if you do get kicked in the nuts, it's like, at least I can move out the way so it doesn't clip me fully. Great question. So <clears throat> my approach to mindset could be summed up um, quite simply with process versus outcome. Now, credit where credit is due. I think I first read this in one of Ben Settle's villains books. Um, but the whole idea of being process focused versus outcome focused is something that has always really stuck with me since I really got into self-development, which is around about the same time I started getting to getting into online business. Um, so many times, as a copywriter, I've written copy that's bombed. I've written sales pages that haven't done well. I've written email sequences that, that have done terribly. Um, you know, like I've messed stuff up. I've crashed and burned by all, like in so many different ways as a copywriter. Um, but just by having that process versus outcome thinking. So what I mean by that is focus on the process, not on the outcome. So if you're trying to lose weight, focus on eating great, focus on being consistent in the gym, focus on like, um, you know, getting loads of sleep. Don't focus on don't set outcome goals where you're like, okay, in 30 days, I'm going to lose 10 kilograms or whatever. That's ridiculous. But you get the point, right? You don't set yourself a specific um, outcome goal that you have no control over. That would be my best advice for all copywriters because the nature of what we do is we swing and miss more than we swing and hit. Even the pros, right? They're not going to, they're not going to get (laughs) right. Of course. No, the only reason to say that is because I actually looked at my metrics and I'll talk to you about that afterwards. But the majority, I agree with the majority of people, you will lose more than you will win. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so myself, like my whole shtick is that I'm not an A-list copywriter, you know, I'm not a 700 million producing copywriter. Mm. Unlike you, Um, like (laughs) I would consider myself good at what I do, but I'm definitely not like world-class. I'm not top tier. Um, There are many, many people listening who are going to be the same skill level I am as, as me um, or better. Right. So for me, speaking from experience, yeah, as I say, I've bombed so many times. Um, but just by having that process versus outcome thinking in mind, that's gotten me through it. So I have no real control over the results of the copy. The best I can do is write the best copy I can do as much research as possible. Right. So I try and focus on the things that I can control rather than things that I, that I can't control. Um, so every time I've bombed, it's been easy for me to be like, okay, cool. Let's just go back to, I like, I must've missed something out with the process. Like, okay, let's do more research. Let's, uh, let's try and find a different angle. Let's look at, look at the the, the the results and see what i can tweak to improve the copy that i'd written so it's easy uh well maybe not easy but it's it's a much clearer path to just step up and try and swing again if you're thinking about the process rather than worrying about the outcome um and outside of landing clients as well so outside of, of writing copy let's talk about landing clients because that's a huge uh obviously a massive part of the copywriting game okay. and a lot of copywriters again focus on the outcome they're like okay i'm gonna hit 10k a month um by december and if i don't do that then something's wrong with me um and so they do everything they can and what what often happens is because they have a specific outcome in mind by a specific deadline like a specific income amount they want to hit by like next month they start to get really needy when they're doing outreach or when they're talking to clients and that affects 
obviously the result and makes it less likely to happen then they get all upset and then you know that that pushes back um the time at which that that, that just elongates the time at which it will take them to hit their goals in the first place so having that process versus outcome thinking i really believe is is super key I agree. And one of the things else, the only time that you can ever set an outcome related goal is if you know what you're doing. And the reason I say that is because it's the same with like weight loss. And I tell this to a lot of my friends that are trying to lose weight. Guys, stop trying to set a number on the scale for yourself to hit. Yeah. Because yep. that's done. The only people that need to do that are people that are competing. Like when I'm mm. in competition mode, dude, I gotta, I gotta hit the scale. I've got to hit the scale at 71 kilos. Like I know I've got a 70, a 70 to 77, 76 kilos is my weight bracket. Mm. I want to be on the lighter end. I know for a fact leading up to that week, I've got to be around 71, 72, 73 kilos. I can't be any heavier than that because um, my gi weighs more. And then mm. also on top of that, if I want to go lighter, yeah, I will drop down my weight. But the truth is I couldn't care less. If I looked amazing and I weighed like 10 kilos more, I couldn't give two shits. Mm-hmm. just can give two shits so it's uh, you're completely right it's not about the outcome it's about the process of getting there so one of the ways that i'd suggest that with uh how you can get started with say getting clients today would be of course reach out to shiv go onto his website shivshetty.com forward slash podcast and that's how you do a very smooth segue where he wasn't expecting it love it <laughs> <laughs> but guys go check it out his stuff is amazing now one of my questions i will want you uh, i want you to run with here a little bit sure and Wait, are you a movie type guy or do you not do movies? Because I know some people don't do movies. Oh, yeah. I'm a massive cinephile. Go for oh, it. fuck yeah. Someone that knows what's up. All right. We're going to have fun with this. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to give you, I want to get your five favorite books like that you'd recommend anyone reading. Fiction, nonfiction, doesn't matter. And then I want your 10 favorite movies that you'd recommend everyone watch. Blimey. Okay. <laughs> I know it's a big list, but I'm giving you 10 here because I know you can jump about here. You can do biographies. You can do business ones, silly ones, whatever you want. Love it. Okay, so top five books. Um, first one, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Recommend anyone read that. That completely changed my life, uh, as I've already spoken about. Second one, um, Influence by Robert Cardini. I think again another staple for all copywriters. Um, third book, you know, I love reading psychology books. So I would say Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. It doesn't really well. It both applies to copywriting and, and doesn't at the same time. It's just the stuff that he talks about, the biases, the heuristics, and they're really fascinating. Um, so I recommend, I really love that book. Um, also, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Love David Goggins, um, as well as Jocko Willink. But I more time for David Goggins, and his book is, is really fantastic. His story is incredible. Have you read that book? I have. I've actually met David Goggins. Have you? Yeah, I, uh, I met him at a seminar a couple, like a year and a half ago. Um, he's supposed to be on this show, by the way. Like, we're still working on getting him on insane that's crazy how many do you know everyone is there anyone you don't know i swear you're the most connected person i've ever met in my life to be fair i have this with brad costanzo all the time because i post about oh yeah i really like tim grover i think he's cool brad costanzo sends me a photo with him and tim grover i'm like he knows i'm he's not i'm an mma fan so he sends me a photo with him and frank shamrock because frank shamrock is one of his clients i'm like you fucking asshole why so i apologize if that seems but no david goggins is amazing like that dude is genuine he's such a sweetheart as well like genuinely sweetheart but he's Mm. um tough as nails though yeah yeah he must have been really intense when you met him but no he was super sweet like genuinely super nice he was like uh i asked him a question on mine i don't remember what my question was but it's on video somewhere and um 
yeah, he answered me. He was like, cool, this is how I would do it. And he's really cool about it. He was like, just be be this way. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I'd still yeah. say the audiobook version of Can't Hurt Me is better than the written version. Is it narrated by Goggins himself? It's Goggins and the ghostwriter who wrote it. And they mm. essentially he has the ghostwriter read ghostwriter read it and then they stop in random points. So David Goggins can give you more of an insight of what was going on in that time, in that book, in that headspace or that practice. Or he'll expand on like an exercise in a way that will really make it sit home. So it's like a podcast interview, audiobook reading all in one. Wow. Okay, I'm definitely gonna put that up. That's interesting. Yeah, I've read yeah, Audible. Can't Hurt Me like three times. I didn't realize there's a audiobook version. Yeah, it's super awesome. I only got the audiobook version. I then then I got the signed copy of his book at the seminar that was at. Fantastic. That's you insane. can't do that, right? You just can't go to a seminar and not get a signed copy. <laughs> right. Fanboy right. a little bit. It's fine. All right. So that, what's book number three then? Uh so that was that was four books. That was um, wait, hold on. So yeah, so you got Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah, Think Fast and Slow. Can't Influence. Hurt me. Influence. That was it. That's the one I was missing. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know why I say two. Yeah, you jumped. Like my brain went there. So what's the fifth? What's number five? Uh, the fifth. Oh, man, that's a that's a great question. Fifth book. Um, it might be the Forty Eight Laws of Power by Robert oh, Greene. Motherfucker! God damn it. Why? I was going to say, if he doesn't say a Robert Greene book, I'm just going to be like, yeah, so one of the books I recommend to everyone is all of Robert Greene's books. <laughs> yeah, 48 Laws of Power is, because I love historical like references to Same. modern day things, as you can tell with the Flaming Camel. So that's well, why clearly we get along. That's why, because we have a nerddom towards this. <laughs> By the way, uh, if you haven't already, Law 27 is still my favorite law. Law 27. I don't, off the top of my head, I don't know which one that oh, is. No, I, I know. It's basically build a cult, uh, build a cult like following. Build a cult like following. Yeah, interesting. That book has so many applications, not just in business, but just, life. yeah, it, yeah, life. How to, It's How to Life. It's an incredible book. Love it. Um, well, it's How to Life and then How to Look Out for Bad People in Your Life. Mm. It's not so much how to manipulate your way to the top, but it's like, Hey, motherfucker, you need to look out for this. Use this for positivity, but look out what's happening. Yeah, yeah. In one of the laws, I remember he outlines, is it like five specific types of people that you always want to avoid? I thought that was quite useful. I realized I had someone like that in my life, so I got rid of them. So much better. Like my personal favorite, one of my favorite laws is uh, do not try and help the needy and and unlucky. Mm, You'll become, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Because you'll become one of them. Oh, I've done that before. And I was like, how the fuck did I almost go broke? <laughs> right, right. It yeah. happens though, right? So, okay. So I love your book selection, but I will say as opposed to 48 Laws of Power, which is one of my favorite books of all time, I will actually put in the laws of human nature. I'd say laws of human nature trumps 48 Laws of Power. Really? Wow. Yeah. Big shout. Better than 48 Laws of Power. Way better. It's his final book that he wrote. It's one of the last books he wrote. Uh, it's the last one that released. Again, get it on Audible because uh, you find out actually Robert Greene had a stroke right around the time he was writing it. So that's why oh. he, he didn't audio. He didn't do the audiobook version. But um, the audiobook version is 28 hours long. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, there's a section in it where he highlights the four different cycles of people that we go through and more specifically what each cycle of those people are. So I think it's like boomers, Gen X, Gen Y slash millennials, and then uh, the Gen, Gen Z as in mm. what each one of them craves and how to apply that to like conversation with them. So like with Gen X, wow. it's uh, they were the latchkey kids. So they actually crave, um, they crave independence. That's their big thing is I'm different. I'm independent. Whereas Gen Z, 
uh, they crave community. So your, so I think it's your generation because I, you were born after, you were born after ninety three, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yep. you were born like ninety eight or something. Ninety eight, yeah, yeah. So I was gonna say, uh, because of that, you're in Gen Z, and you guys crave community more than anything else. That's kind of like unity and community is like your motto. I'm in the millennials, and our thing is slightly in the middle between unity, uh, unity, and I think as ours is uniqueness. We crave uniqueness um and what we do and then boomers have a thing with safety but i'll look this up properly but it's uh baby boomers by the way not boomers isn't like an insult to anyone um because someone got really offended with that on a show it was really fucking weird anyway already oh, <laughs> yeah they did so weird all right let's jump into our cinephile because again i know there's gonna be some crossover here what are your top 10 that everyone should watch man that's such a good question also pretty hard okay so first off forrest gump definitely gonna without be a doubt yeah forrest gump um, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> um shawshank although i'm not one of those people who thinks that's the best film that was ever made but i do love shawshank redemption that's not a great uh, film great um yeah probably star wars episode six has got to be on there for me it's just a classic that i loved growing up um so that's on there also Silence of the Lambs. Great book. Another great one. And great movie. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, man. That's such a difficult question. What else would you put? What would, who would you have on your list for movies? That might uh, inspire me to. Pulp Fiction. Oh, Pulp Fiction. Yes. Classic. I mean, don't get me wrong. Any ta- nearly any Tarantino movie. You know, Reservoir Dogs, actually. So it's a trap. One of the best. Uh, or Django. Or Inglorious Bastards. Yes. Or Kill Bill 1 and 2. <laughs> Yeah, like pick a movie that isn't excellent by this man. I, I, okay, hatefully is not on my list, but still, it's the only one. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I watched QT8, which if you haven't seen is a documentary about Tarantino, you get a whole new level of respect for this man when you watch really? it. The guy literally straight up has the same, like Judy Greer was supposed to be uh, Jackie Brown, basically. She was supposed to be in Pulp Fiction and he had to cut her. So he sent her a message saying, hey, listen, I'm going to write a whole movie just for you. And she's like, yeah, whatever, bullshit. He <laughs> writes Jackie Brown with her in mind. Wow. And it also reveals the reason why he's so comfortable using the N-word on camera. Why is that? It's because his mother dated so many black men when he was younger. They used to take him to black exploitation movies in the 70s and 80s. And that's what he grew up with. That's what he knew as movies. So when he's creating movies, he's seeing and he's paying homage to what he saw as a kid. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So it, it's, it's, like it's a 100% homage. Like, Because think about the characters in Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction looks like a B-movie. <laughs> it yep. isn't, but it looks like one. Mm-hmm. And same with Death Proof and Planet Death. All, it's, it's all the same thing. But uh, So that's very interesting. I'd also put The Dark Knight, obviously, because I'm I a was huge fan. just about to say that. Heath Ledger's, yeah, performance you know, is phenomenal. By the way, just a quick shout out to my group. Head over to cultoftheawesome.com um, or just head on to Cult of the Awesome on Facebook there, and just search Dark Knight Movie Breakdown or just look into the movie breakdown section that we have because I did a three-part, currently it's a one-part, by the time the show airs, it'll be a three-part, uh, breakdown of the lessons you'll pick up from The Dark Knight in both business and in life. Um, in the first 30 minutes of that movie, I actually got 21 lessons. <laughs> Blimey. Yeah, it's insane. 
But uh, anyway, so th- those are kind of the movies on my list. So we got Dark Knight on your list. Yeah. Inglorious Bastard. No, what was it? Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs, definitely. That's mm-hmm. incredible. Mr. Pink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, can I cheat and put a TV show instead of a movie? Of course, of course man. I'm going to put Mr. Robot on there. Ooh. Game of that? Thrones. Yeah, I love Mr. Robot. Game of Thrones, yeah. except for season eight. That was a terrible ending. Yeah. Yeah. I can't put Game of Thrones on because of that final season. I know, but up till then it was amazing story writing like had you hooked agreed agreed yeah um but yeah mr i absolutely love mr robot and mm-hmm. uh, sneaky pete sneaky Have you seen that? Great. yep sneaky pete's That's great, great yeah i did sneaky not know Bones. how good of an actor giovanni ribisi was oh yeah like if you've never seen have you ever seen boiler room um it came no, out around the same time it came out around the time you were born though is that with alec baldwin no, that's Glengarry Glenn Ross, you're thinking ah. of. Uh, Boiler Room is a movie that came out in 99, uh, that kind of era of time. Ben Affleck is like an uncredited role player in this. Vin Diesel is when he's very early on in his career. Um, you have James Kahn's kids, Scott Kahn's in it. You also have uh, a few Giovanni Rubisi's in it as well. Mm. Essentially, it's all centered around uh, Boiler Rooms specifically uh basically what jordan belfort did but it's based on that but not really uh Mm -hmm. so it's like a so what they would do is they would sell fake stocks to people and take all their money and get paid a commission for it and it just Mm -hmm. follows giovanni rubisi's like he's he didn't become the jordan belfort he was one of jordan's salespeople, so to say like he it's not jordan Mm -hmm. but like he was one of the salespeople on the floor as he goes through his metamorphosis and his idea of who he's becoming it's an excellent movie it's got some great sales uh, techniques i've used before including um you know get them to say yes mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite it was like uh, ask them a dumb question get them to say yes if i if you were drowning i threw you a life jacket would you take it yes or no yes okay great pick up 200 shares right now <laughs> i've done that on i did that when i did door-to-door sales i was like would you trust me if, if you were drowning and i threw you a life jacket life jacket would you take it yes or no Yes, well, this is your life jacket. Your gas and electric needs work. Let me come help you. This is your life jacket. Say yes. I fucking did that to close people. <laughs> it worked. Interesting. Wow. But anyway, I, I digress because we've only got a couple of minutes left. I want to get the rest of your list. Yes. Um, okay, so how, what, what number are we up to now? Seven? Six. Six. Seven. 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 Let's look at number seven. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do another cheat, and it's got to be Bojack Horseman, the oh, TV classic. show. Cla- that show makes me sad after a while, though, but it's a good show. Yes. Yeah, it's incredible. I think, yeah, it's got to be the fact that it's animated that allowed the directors and the writers to go to extremely dark places without it being complete overkill. That's what I love so much about it. Same. Yeah. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Um, I might have to put Ill Manners on there. Have you heard of Ill Manners? I have not. I'll have to check it out. So, have you heard of the song "Ill Manners" by Plan yeah. B? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, the same, the rapper Plan B. I'm blanking on his name. He created a film called "Ill Manners," which is basically about the, um, it's about the underbelly of London, sort of like um, council estate kind of. Uh, kind of thing. So very British, basically. Right, extremely British, very gritty. Um, love that one, as well as speaking of which, "Girl with the Dragon Tattoo." Now, I say that because it's very dark and very gritty, Twisted. which is the yeah, yeah, twisted exactly, which is exactly. Like, I love that kind of stuff. So that's right on my street. Um, and I think that's my list. Is that 10? Yep, that's 10. We got that's it. That's 10. Cool. Guys, go check out uh, shivshetty.com forward slash, forward slash 
podcast. You can go get his end Feast of Famine report, which is brilliant if you get a chance to join the Flaming Camel when you can, because this shit is amazing. It will transform the way that you do business. And I will give you a glowing endorsement right now. I guarantee you, if you apply what's there and reach out to him if you get stuck, uh, apply what's there, you will easily make your investment back inside the 12-month period, which is incredible because if you put money into a stock market, it would take you a couple of years to get your investments back. This is a great way to actually get your investment back in your business while helping you create a life that you want. So that right there, you can take to the bank. Thanks, man. It's Love it. It's official on my fucking show now. So that's the thing. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, guys, uh, take care. And I will speak to you guys next week. Have an amazing weekend. We have Roy Fur coming on. Um, we're just literally about to record the show as well. And he's going to be out next week. So you guys can listen to that. Peace out and take care, guys. Bye. See you out.